Hey, um, the, you know, gift giving is the most popular tradition of Christmas. We've got, we've got our Advent cal- candles. We've got all sorts of different traditions. But Chris, Christmas gift giving is the most popular tradition. And last week, uh, I started a series called The Gift, which actually we have our, our slide here, The Gift of Christmas. And that is our series that we started yet last week. And I talked about uh, uh, the gift of Christmas being God's presence. Well, I'm surrounded with presents here, and thanks to some, be- some wonderful work on our decor team, uh, they put out some beautiful presents here, and I- I'm excited to open some of those, you know? Last week, we actually opened one of them, and inside of it, you guys remember there was some fruit inside of that, and uh, I think it was Tristan who helped open it, and uh, he was excited about the fruit. I wasn't so excited, because I remember when I was a kid, when I got fruit, I was disappointed. Um, I was disappointed to get an orange and some walnuts. I couldn't, wal, walnuts. I still don't like walnuts. I don't understand why we give walnuts at Christmas time. Does anybody know why we give walnuts at Christmas time? Nobody knows. I don't know either, but there's walnuts always seem to be around at Christmas time. Can I confess something? Can I be transparent? Because they say confession is good for the soul, so I need to confess. I have a hard time waiting until Christmas to open my presents. Anybody else in here have a hard time waiting? Man, I, I have a hard time waiting. Matter of fact, I've got this Christmas gift right here. I want to open it right now. Tara wrapped it up for me, and I'm excited to open I want to see what's inside of it, but I'm waiting because there's a certain point that I'm supposed to open it, so I'm waiting, but it's very hard. I remember back in 1980, way back in the 80s, 1980, I was just a little kid, and uh, I, I had a hard time waiting even back then. And I can remember it was about a month before Christmas, 1980, and I wanted wanted a particular present. It was one of the most popular items being sold that year in 1980, and I wanted one for Christmas. It was cutting-edge technology. This was before Apple. Okay, this was before iPads. This was before Xbox. This was before PlayStation. What I was hoping for What I was praying for, what I was dreaming for, was this right here. The Atari 2600. That's right, baby. This is the gaming system that I was... This was the video computer system. The VCS, baby. And I was was so wanting this gift. And so I started snooping a little early. And I started looking under beds, looking into closets. My hunt took me out to my dad's workshop. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking around, and I looked up on this high, high shelf. And something looked a little odd on that high shelf. There was a painting tarp up there, and it was in the shape of a rectangular box that would perfectly fit the Atari 2600 VCS. So I got the ladder down, and I climbed up, and I pulled back the painting tarp, and yes, there it was in beautiful plastic wood grain, the, v, the, the Atari. It was, it was perfect. I was so excited. I was vibrating with excitement. I jumped off the ladder. I went running out. I ran down the street. I was singing for joy. I was so excited because this Christmas, I was going to get an Atari. I was going to be the leader of the, of, the, of the neighborhood. All my friends were going to be so jealous of me. It was four weeks until Christmas. That was a long four weeks. That had to be the longest four weeks I would imagine in my life. And you know how it is when you're a kid. When you're excited for something, time just crawls by, doesn't it? And it did. It just crawled by. Finally, 
it was Christmas time. And I was super excited. I knew what I was getting. And Christmas morning arrived. That night, I actually went and I slept in front of the tree. Because there was that box, nicely wrapped, like one of these gifts right here. And I remember staring at it all night long. I think I slept, or maybe I didn't. I just remember looking at it. I'd open my eyes. It's still there. I closed my eyes. I'd open my eyes. It's still there. Finally, morning. I wasn't allowed to, to wake anybody or disturb anybody until the sun actually popped up. And that was torture, you know. And finally, the sun popped up, and I went, and I ran into my mom and dad. I said, it's Christmas time. Come on. Let's get up. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. My mom said, absolutely. Let's go. Let's head on. Let's go. Let's go enjoy Christmas. But first, we have to eat breakfast. Yeah. Moms know how to torture us, don't they? She knew I wasn't going to eat anything if I didn't eat right there because she knew what was happening. So we ate breakfast, and then it came time. And I went over, and I, I, I opened one gift, and that was really nice. I opened another gift, and that was really nice. And my mom and dad were waiting to open the big rectangular box. Finally, it came time for the big rectangular box, and I ripped it open, and oh, it's an Atari. I was so excited. I wish we had a video camera to record me back then, but we didn't have one of those. And I was so excited, and my mom and dad were kind of smiling at me, but they had kind of a weird look on their face. They weren't as excited as I was. You see, my dad had discovered that I had been snooping. Because I had gotten so excited back in the workshop that I'd left the painting tarp out and the ladder sitting there. I wasn't the smartest kid, you know. And so as I opened up the box to pull out the beautiful Atari gaming system, what was inside was Kmart t-shirts and underwear. <laughs> confused, perplexed, and wondering, what happened? Why would, they, why would they do this to me? And then my father said to my mother, well, because he was snooping, maybe we should wait until his birthday. Oh. I was horrified. I was guilt-ridden because I was caught. And I knew that my father was going to make me wait until my birthday. But my mother, little five foot one Irish lady with a heart as big, reached behind the, the, the sofa and pulled out this beautiful plastic gift known as the Atari 2600. And she said, Merry Christmas. And then she also pulled out a cartridge, and it said on the cartridge, Space Invaders. Yes, yes that, that Christmas, that break, I never left that television. Oh, I, I dominated Space Invaders and Asteroids. Any Space Invaders and Asteroids people? Come on. I'm, I, I know there's too many young people. You're going, I wasn't even born in 1980. I know I dated myself. Pong, Pong, okay, there it is. <laughs> I spent all of Christmas break mastering those things. I was so excited. It was so hard to wait, but the wait was worth it. So now it's time to open up another gift. And I think I should open my gift here. I've been waiting Sorry. for this. And no, it's not an Atari. No, I think it's a little more of a letdown than that. <laughs> it was having my water inside of it, actually. It's a um, piece of canvas. A piece of tent canvas for camping. It's been cut off or torn off of a tent. 
It's actually going to help to illustrate the greatest present that we've ever received. And I'm going to be sharing that in just a moment. This present represents a time when God's people were waiting to experience what humanity desperately needed. And that was God's presence. I alluded to it a little bit last week and talked about how in the beginning, God made this incredible planet and he gave it to us. And he said, go, enjoy, be fruitful and multiply. Enjoy this planet. But his greatest gift was actually the fact that he was there involved daily with humanity. His presence with humanity. After the fall of mankind in the garden, man was separated from God because of sin. And God's desire was to be reunited with mankind. And even in the garden, he began to initiate a plan that would bring humanity back into a close relationship with God. In the middle of Genesis chapter 22, around verse 18, we see that God makes a covenant promise with a man by the name of Abraham. And he says to Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through your descendants. God's plan to be reunited with humanity was fully in motion by this point. His descendants would be known as the Hebrews, also known as the Israelites. Everybody say Israelites. Israelites named after uh, one of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob, whose name would be changed to Israel. His descendants were known as the Israelites. Three generations later, the Hebrews or the Israelites find themselves in Egypt due to a global famine. God provided for his people through Egypt. This whole story can be found in the second book of the Old Testament called Exodus. But the Egyptians were threatened by these Israelites, so they enslaved them. They said, you know what? These these Israelites, these Hebrews are becoming too numerous. They're going to overrun and overtake us, and so we better do something about it. We're going to enslave them. And so the the Hebrews, the Israelites, waited, and they waited, and they waited for a liberator to set them free. They waited and waited, and where I waited four weeks to receive a gift, they waited 400 years to experience the liberation that they needed. Let me read to you from the book of Exodus, chapter 2, verse 23 through 25. Follow me on the screens as I read says this, Exodus 2.23 says, Years passed, and the king of Egypt died. But the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise with Abraham. Pause there for a second. This is a little side thing. God remembers his promises. God is a promise keeper, not a promise breaker. And all these promises that are found in scriptures, as you begin to get a hold of them, you can remind God, hey, you made promises to your children, and I need, I need God. He has no problem saying, you're right. Because take a look. It says there that he looked down on the people of Israel, and he knew it was time to act. 
And so he did. He did. Most of us know the rest of the story. If, if you've ever been around church at all, if, if you've ever even seen pop culture such as the Ten Commandments, those movies that have been around, God delivers his people from the bondage and the slavery and the oppression of Pharaoh. The story is found in Exodus chapter 1 through 12. It's a great, beautiful story of God dramatically and miraculously setting his people free. But that's not what I want to focus on tonight. What I want to focus on, I want to focus on our point of the evening. Today's message. I'm going to jump over to Exodus chapter 19 and I want to read something to you that's going to help to bring into focus this gift that God has. Exodus chapter 19 verses 1 through 4 say this. Exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. After breaking camp at Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and they set up camp. Everybody say camp. These guys were camping. How many of you guys like camping? All right. Some of you like camping. Good. They were camping. They set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. Verse 3 says, Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. His name was also Israel. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Let's all read the words that are underlined there together. Ready? Go. Brought you to myself. That's a very interesting phrase that's there in Scripture. And it's important to focus on. Because it wasn't like God said to these Hebrews, these Israelites, hey, I'm going to set you free because you've been mistreated so that you can go out there and be the kind of people you want to be. And so I'm going to set you free. That wasn't God's motivation, actually. God was motivated by even a greater love than just seeing oppressed people set free. God's motivation was to bring those people to himself. Like a father who really loves. Like a father who really cares and says, you know what? I want to get you to me. God's motivation was to be with his people. And here's the reality, folks. It hasn't changed. His heart is to be with us to be in our midst. Later on, while, while on the mountain, God gives Moses the laws that would guide and protect God's plan and his people to redeem humanity. Then in Exodus chapter 29, 10 chapters later, we read this. Verse 8 says, have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary. Why? So I can live among them. You must build this tabernacle. Everybody say tabernacle. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I will show you. Tabernacle is an interesting word. It sounds kind of religious, and it's not the kind of word that we use nowadays, but back then it was understood that a tabernacle is kind of a temporary dwelling place. 
a temporary place of worship. It was actually a tent. You've heard of a temple. That's a hard constructed place of worship. A tabernacle is a temporary place. It's a tent made of wood and poles and canvas. Intended to be temporary. Intended to be temporary. Intended, yes, to be temporary. That's very funny. And God says there, I want you to build it exactly according to the pattern I will show you. Just like creation, God was, had great detail, great care that he went to to create all that we see. He also went to great care giving instructions on how the tabernacle was to be created. Why? Because that was going to be his house. That was going to be his place where his presence would dwell. As a matter of fact, we see over in Numbers chapter 2 that God says that that tabernacle needs to be right in the middle of the camp. Now, I find that absolutely incredible. I don't know about you, but that is incredible. He places his house not up on a mountain, not off on an island someplace, but right in the middle of their camp. Take a look at verse, I'm going to jump down to verse 43 through 46. Let me read this to you. It says, God says, I will meet the people of Israel there in the place made holy by my glorious presence. Yes, I will consecrate the tabernacle and the altar, and I will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. And here's the, here's the great part I love. Then I will live among the people of Israel and be their God. And they will know that I am the Lord their God. I am the one who brought them out of the land of Egypt so that I could live among them. I am the Lord their God. I want, I want, I want you guys to take a look at that. God, the, the creator of the universe, is saying, I want to live there. I want to live right there. I want to be in, in your camp. Now, now we, need to have, we have to understand something. This was not the Ritz-Carlton. This was not glamping. This was old, ancient kind of camping. No running water. No, no filtration systems. No solar heating bags that can heat up your water so you can take nice warm showers. I mean, this was hot. This is the Middle East. It was dusty. There were animals running around doing their business right there in the middle of everything. There were people <coughs> probably doing their business somewhere around there. It was hot. It was smelly. It was dusty. It was loud. It was crowded. And what does God say? I want to be right in the middle. Right in the middle. You know, if I was the event director... For all of that, I might have said to God, you know, God, there's probably a VIP area that you should go to. I mean, you're God and all, right? I mean, you created all this. Let's find you a nice chalet. You don't need a tabernacle. Let's find you a nice palace because you're God and we'll put you up there. And then you can come down and visit the people and walk amongst them and be a benevolent God. You see, if I was the event director, that's how I might have done it. Not God. 
God says, no, 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 no. Just get a tent. Let's get a tent and put it right in the middle. Matter of fact, I want it to be a tent because the people are going to move around and I want to go with them. I don't want a palace. I don't want, I don't want some far off land, some galaxy far away. I want to be right in the middle. And where they go, pack it up. And I want to go too. You know, the interesting thing is, is every time that they would move, the last thing that they would tear down would be the tabernacle. And they would carry it and they'd carry all the supplies very carefully. And then they'd come to a new location and the very first thing they put up right in the middle was the tabernacle. It was the last thing that came down and it was the first thing that would go up because they knew their God wanted to be right there in the midst of them. He wasn't content on a mountaintop He didn't want to be off in a distant galaxy. You know where he wanted to be? (laughs) Right in the middle of the mess. A stinky, smelly, loud, chaotic mess. That's our God. That's our God. And I think, why would you do that? You don't have to do that. You're God but he wants to. The only thing I can even slightly relate it to is my daughter, Emma. My daughter, Emma, since the time she was an infant, since the time she was born, wanted to be right in the middle of everything. When Leah and I would hug, Emma would come running across the room and thunk and wedge her way right in there. And we'd call it an Emma sandwich. Squeeze her in there. Even to this day, when we go camping or something, Emma wants to be like, right? She wants us all to kind of sleep together and just kind of be a piled on top of each other because she wants to be right in the middle. Because it's right in the middle where she feels that just closeness, that connection, that love. The God of the universe is saying, I want to be right there in the middle. I don't care if it's messy and stinky and smelly and dusty. I want to be there. I want to be right in the middle, right in the middle. God wants to be in the middle of your mess. He wants to be in the middle of your mess. He's not looking for perfection. He's just looking for access and saying, will you set up a place? It doesn't have to be glamorous or glorious. Just give me a space right in the middle. You know, there's some benefits to having God in the middle of the, of the camp there. There's some benefits that the, that the children of Israel experienced when they had God in the middle. The first thing that they experienced was this, that they experienced peace in the midst of chaos. You see, because God was in the middle when the storms would rage and there were desert storms that would happen, they had peace. You know why? Because God was there right in the middle of their camp. And God had promised that he would protect them. And he did. When they were thirsty, God provided water. When they were hungry, he provided food. They could have peace in the midst of the chaos. Because God was in the middle. 
You can have peace in the midst of your chaotic world if God is in the middle. Secondly, they had easy access in the midst of the busyness. They had easy access in the midst of the busyness. You see, because the, the, the tabernacle was right in the middle, they didn't have to go journey on a pilgrimage to get to some land somewhere. They didn't have to climb some mountain. All they had to do was come out their tent. <laughs> I'm go talk to God. Walk right, walk a couple of tents down the way there, down the path, and there was God. Which is so good because in the busyness and the hustle bustle of life, it's nice to know that God is right nearby. He's right there. He's not too far away. Thirdly, having God in their midst, in the middle, gave security in the midst of uncertainty. Security in the midst of uncertainty. You see, because enemies, wild animals, would begin to prowl around the camp and enemies would begin to circle God's people and they could feel secure. You know why? Because God is for us and who can be against us? God is in our midst and he's right in the middle. They could feel secure with an uncertain future. You can feel secure even when your future seems insecure because you have God right in the middle. Lastly, it was the center of daily activity. It was, the, it was having God in the middle meant that he was the center of everything that went on there. He wasn't an afterthought. He wasn't just a special festival once in a while. He was a daily routine. And you see, that's the way God wanted it from the beginning. Because if you remember back in the garden, God would walk daily with his special creation. You see, because you are God's daily delight. You are God's special treasure. And he wants to be the center of your activity, not an afterthought, not just a special event once a year, but daily in your midst. Those are our benefits. Those are the benefits that we have. But in closing, let me, let me ask you this question. Why would God do that? Oh, I know, because of love, right? Yes, that's it. Why would the creator of the universe be right in the middle of a camp? It's the expression of love. And it's an R word. It's simply relationship. God's desire is to have relationship with his people. To have relationship. And I want to give you just a couple little practical things in closing. A little application to your own personal life. How do you foster a healthy relationship? What are the keys to a healthy... If, if God is saying, I want to be in your midst because of relationship, what do I need to do to see that relationship thrive? Well... I wrote down three keys, and they actually relate to the same kind of relationship I have with my wife, Leah. And these three keys to a relationship are found uh, as I relate it to my spouse. Do you have those, Ken? Yeah, go ahead and pull those up. Relationship keys. If I think about my wife, Leah, for our relationship to thrive, 
There has to be trust. I have to trust her and she has to trust me. And that's the only way that our relationship can thrive. It's the only rela- that's the only way your relationships can thrive is if there is trust there. Secondly, there's got to be frequency. Relationships won't thrive if you're never together, if you're never hanging out, if you're never spending time with one another. I got to hang out with my wife regularly or else distance begins to happen. And that old saying, distance makes the heart grow fonder. Sure, that might be true, but distance sucks. I got to be close. I got to spend time. Matter of fact, at night, when I'm feeling a little uneasy, my wife knows exactly what to do. She reaches over and puts her hand on my bald head. Just so I know she's nearby. I need regular touch from my wife. I need regular connection. That helps my relationship to thrive. And thirdly, every relationship needs communication. Communication is like, it's like oxygen to your body. It's like oxygen to these flames over here. As soon as you take that communication out, that relationship will start to suffocate. It will start to diminish and eventually it will die. Nations go to war when communication breaks down. Relationships need communication. Well, it's the same way with God. With God, it's called faith. Trust and faith, the same thing. With God, it's a matter of faith, saying, God, I trust you. I have faith in you. I believe that you are who you say you are, and you will do what you say you will do. Secondly, frequency. If you want, if you want a relationship with God, you got to spend time. And we do that through our, our daily devotions where we're in his word. We do that through regular attendance at church. You see, this isn't just something we show up. Hanging out at church is being with the body of Christ. It's being together. It's hearing his word and coming together. It's that frequency. Without that, the relationship will not thrive. And lastly, communication Pray. God wants to talk to you. The Bible says in the book of Jeremiah, call to me, God says. Call to me and I will show you great and wondrous things that you don't even imagine, that you don't even know. God is waiting for you to call to him. Come on up, James. These three keys to a relationship healthy relationship with a spouse or with a friend or a companion are the same correlation as our relationship with God. God's greatest gift is his presence. And he wants to be right in the midst of your mess. And when you invite him to be in the midst of your mess, he says, great, now let's have a relationship. Let's Build something here. And let's get something done. Would you pray with me?